0: Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning, church. I have a question. Please raise your hand if you are really good at losing things. So you are the person always muttering to yourself or yelling, mom, or honey, where are my fill-in-the-blank? My shoes, my keys, my phone, my homework, my reading glasses, my mind. You know who you are. Pastor Chris makes fun of me because I always leave my keys in my office door so I always know where they are. But then this is the next thing that tends to happen in this scenario. The person who you expect to know where your stuff is yells back, well, have you checked the, fill in the blank, hallway, car, table, backpack, pocket, etc.? And you swear that you did, honestly. You looked there already, but no luck. Dutifully, though, you go back and look again, and lo and behold, there it is. Now, it didn't get up and move on you. It really was there the whole time. But somehow you just didn't see it the first time. You were seeking, but you weren't seeing. So when the pastor sat down to plan our butt God sermon series, apparently I drew the short straw. Because my Bible story for today is the story of Balaam. Raise your hand if you know the story of Balaam. Okay. If I say Balaam and the talking donkey, does that help? No? Okay. Well, if you aren't familiar with the story of Balaam, no worries. It's a little-known story from the seldom-read book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And in our sermon series so far, we've looked at a whole bunch of stories where this thing happened or circumstances seemed to be going a certain way, but then God did this awesome redemptive thing and turned things around. And today's story, Balaam's story, is no different. But let's pray before we dive in. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring glory and honor to you. Speak, Lord. We are your servants, your beloved children, and we are listening. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Amen. So freed from slavery in Egypt and en route to the land that God promised them, The Israelites, God's people, have been journeying through the desert for 37 years. And as they get a little closer to their promised destination of the land of Canaan, they start to cause a commotion amongst the people groups of the region. In Numbers chapter 20, they come to the border of the land of Edom and ask the king if they can peacefully pass through his lands on their way. They promise to be good guests, not to cause any damage. But the king of Edom is threatened by the idea of this huge group of Israelites, think at least one million people, within his borders. So he mobilizes his army against them and forces them to turn around. When they come to the city of Arad, that king also attacks the Israelites, taking some of them as prisoners. But God's people cry out to God for help, and he gives them victory over their attackers. And the same thing happens when they comes to the land of Sion and Og. They ask to pass through peacefully, those kings attack them, but God gives his people victory, allowing them to continue towards the promise he made. So when they come to the land of Moab, its king, King Balak, has seen what happened when his neighbors attacked the Israelites, and he's afraid of the same thing happening to him. He's seen that the Israelites have defeated everyone who has attacked them with military might, so he tries a different approach. He sends a message to Balaam, a sorcerer, along with a pretty hefty bribe, and he says, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Now, this was not an unusual request. In Old Testament times, there was a strong belief in curses and blessings. And sorcerers were thought to have power or sway with the gods, and so were commonly kept on king's payrolls to help bend the gods' will to their aid. King Balak of Moab wanted the sorcerer Balaam to use his powers to persuade the god of Israel to turn against God's own people so that they could be defeated. And this is how Balaam responds to King Balak's messengers. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning, I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land." But God told Balaam, Do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. So the next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. One of the things that's so interesting about Balaam is that he wasn't a Jew, he had no previous relationship with the God of Israel. He was a sorcerer in a land that worshipped many, many idols, and he had a reputation for being on good terms with all of them. But here, he shows this remarkable spiritual sensitivity to the one true God. Instead of simply taking the money, calling out a curse on the Israelites, and letting the chips fall where they may, he actually seeks out God's guidance and has the humility to obey the direction he receives. At first, anyway. The story continues. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. So King Balak tried again. This time, he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what King Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balak responded to, Balaam responded to King Balak's messengers. Even if King Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. So at first glance, it seems like Balaam is still saying and doing all the right things. He seems to firmly reject King Balak's big paycheck in order to obey what God told him. But actually, his mixed motives are starting to show here. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. This is like when a kid gets an answer they don't like from one parent, so they go to the other parent, hoping for a different answer. Or I think it's hilarious when teenagers will ask me a question, I give them an answer, and a few minutes later they'll ask me the same question. If I choose to point out that I already told them, they'll sheepishly say, yeah, but I wasn't listening. Oh, so very self-aware, it's fabulous. This is what Balaam is doing here. He asked God. God gave him an answer, a very clear answer, revealing he had no intentions of allowing his people to be cursed. Yet Balaam is asking again, hoping for a different answer this time. We know from later stories of Balaam that greed is his ultimate downfall, and here we begin to see the cracks in Balaam's outward appearance of spiritual sensitivity and through to the true motives his heart. And now the story starts to get weird. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Wait, what? God told Balaam to go, and now God is angry that Balaam went. What's happening here? Hold on to that thought. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Now this happens two more times. Angel stands in Balaam's path donkey sees the angel, moves to avoid it. Balaam gets angry and beats the donkey. Until finally, on the third time, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with King Balak's officials. When King King Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border, at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I've come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Okay, let's get a couple things out of the way. First, the donkey is talking. That's weird. Second, for some reason, Balaam is not freaked out that the donkey is talking. Also weird. Lastly, some people really shouldn't be allowed to have pets. I mean, goodness gracious. As a kid, this story used to make me so sad because the donkey was sad. No more animal movies for me. But let's circle back to the moment where God seemed to give Balaam permission to go only to get angry when Balaam does go. Well, God hasn't changed his mind here. He's not going to allow Balaam to go curse the Israelites for King Balak. No. God's plan is still to bless his people and keep his promise to them. But throughout Scripture, we see that God does listen and respond when his people pray. God doesn't merely want chess pieces that he moves around in some cosmic game. God wants a relationship with humanity. And that means that he will respect our choices even when what we've chosen is not the best that he wants for us. Balaam asks God again, even though the first answer was no, revealing his desire to go. And we see God make space for that desire, while also giving Balaam strict instructions to say only the words that God gives him. But there, there's something that we don't see at this point in the story that God does the motives of Balaam's heart. The fact that the donkey could see the angel in the road and Balaam couldn't illustrates his actual lack of spiritual sensitivity, of seeking. At that point, Balaam was no longer truly seeking to follow God's direction. Instead, Balaam was seeking the rubber stamp of approval for his own self-centered plan. But God. But God places an angel in Balaam's path. The goal is not to harm him, but to protect Israel and to offer Balaam another chance to be a part of something so much bigger than himself. And to his credit, Balaam has the humility to repent, to turn away from his way to choose God's way instead. Now I imagine that after an encounter with an angel with a sword, Balaam was probably actually ready to go home and wash his hands of King Balak and his curse. But part of making our own choices is that we must also bear the consequences of them. Balaam's choice has tied him to this path. He chose to go, and now he must see it through. But there's also a huge opportunity here for redemption. The number three is a really important pattern in Scripture. It's a sign that the author is driving something home. So just as Balaam had three chances to see the angel in the road, three times King Balak insists that Balaam curse the Israelites. And three times, despite the reward, despite risking the wrath of a king, Balaam speaks only the words that God has given him. And much to King Balak's dismay, they are not curses, but words of powerful blessing over the Israelites. Now earlier, Randall read for us two more stories that are actually really similar to Balaam's. Just two chapters before in Numbers 20, God's people are, again, complaining they have no water and wishing for all the nice things they had in Egypt where they were slaves. In frustration, Moses and his brother Aaron seek God's help, and God tells them to gather the whole community together, speak to a rock, and it will pour out water for everyone to drink. But Moses, perhaps in his anger at the pure petulance of the people he's been leading for so long, chooses not to speak to the rock, but to hit the rock with his staff. Now water does pour out and the people are happy, but God says to Moses, Moses, because you did not trust me enough, you will not get to lead these people into the promised land I'm giving them. This may seem like a steep consequence for such a small action, but there's actually so, so much more to say about how this one moment fits into Moses' whole life story. But suffice it to say for now Moses sought God, but something inside him kept him from responding to God's direction. So he took matters back into his own hands. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says, The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. The opposite of trusting God is trusting something else more, whether it be another God, political resources, and or ourselves. We also heard the story of Saul, who later became the famous Apostle Paul. He was a respected religious leader in the days after Jesus' resurrection, and he was hunting down the first followers of Jesus to kill them. And with Israel's long history of getting swept up in idol worship, he firmly believed that he was doing the right thing for God's people in violently stamping out what he saw as the worship of a new false god. But on his way to just such a mission, Jesus himself appeared and spoke to Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was blinded by the light of Jesus' appearance and given an entirely new and entirely different plan and purpose. Now Saul was not actually seeking God. Instead, he assumed that God's will matched his agenda. So he did destructive things in God's name. In all three stories, Balaam, Moses, and Saul's, God had to step in supernaturally to redirect and redeem their choices. As Proverbs 21.2 says, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. Now, I shared my sermon topic with a young friend in our church family this week, and he said it reminded him of a story he'd heard. There was a man who used to smuggle prohibited items between East and West Berlin during the Cold War. He'd show up to the checkpoint on a bicycle with a backpack full of sand. And security would take his backpack, cut it open, and search through the sand. And unable to find any prohibited items, they'd shrug and let him through and on his way. Little did they know he was smuggling bicycles. Are we seeking God, but not seeing past whatever it is we want? Are we hearing God, but not listening because of something inside of us, perhaps a fear or disappointment? Are we asking God, but not responding because our way seems better to us? The Barna Group is a market research firm that specializes in studying the intersection of faith and culture. They've done some really incredible research on what they've discovered to be the characteristics of resilient disciples or resilient followers of Jesus. Resilient disciples are those whose roots grow deeper in the face of challenge or chaos. And one difference that they've discovered between what they call habitual churchgoers and resilient disciples is that resilient followers of Jesus believe that God speaks and therefore they actively listen and respond. David Kinnaman of the Barna Group writes in his book, Faith for Exiles, Hearing from God isn't some spooky transcendental thing in which our eyes glaze over and God takes over our bodies. The profile of resilient disciples shows us that it's much more natural in everyday reliance on God and dependence on his presence. It's cultivating a soft heart to God's leading. Now, there are so, so many ways to hear from God. The words of Scripture— a still small voice of the Holy Spirit within you, other people, nature, silence, worship, dreams, or some combination of all of the above. Honestly, it's a whole other sermon series, but really any of our pastors would be so happy to sit with you and talk about how God might be speaking to you. But all of these methods have one thing in common, a receptive heart The condition of our heart matters when we pray. And a truly receptive heart is expectant that God will speak to us, open to hearing from God, patient to wait for his answer, and then ready to respond to what he says. Friends, this week, I I invite you to reflect on a few questions. If you have something handy to jot these down, paper, phone, whatever, I encourage you to. Question number one, how have you heard God before? Sometimes we may feel that God is silent, and we need to rebuild our expectancy that God wants to and can speak to us. And if this question maybe feels a little hard to answer at first... Start by trying to remember a time that you experienced or witnessed an answer to prayer. How have you heard God before? Question number two, what might be keeping you from truly seeing, hearing, and responding to God? Maybe it's a motive that's out of whack, a fear, a frustration, or an agenda. Question number three, what do you long most to hear from God right now? Remember, God wants a relationship with you. He cares about the things on your heart and he wants to hear them. Naming what it is you really want or need is key to being self-aware in your relationship with God. Maybe you long to hear his promise about who you are and how he feels about you. Maybe you long to hear his guidance, God speaking into a specific situation in your life. What do you long most to hear from God? I leave you with this promise that God is not sneaky or hard to find. He's not trying to be elusive or complicated. God promises that we will find him when we seek him with our whole hearts. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for when we have prayed or come to you with selfish or unseeing hearts. Reveal to us the ways that we have raced ahead, fallen behind, or put words in your mouth instead of truly seeking you. God, we pray that you will walk alongside us giving us your strength and comfort as we learn to let go of those things inside us that hold us back from hearing and responding to you. Father, you alone know best what we need to hear from you today or this week. We long to hear your voice. Open the eyes of our hearts to see you. Amen.